Welcome and thank you for listening to River Valley Church Fresno's podcast. For more information on us, please log in to our website, rvcfresno.com, or you can find us at the App Store, River Valley Church Fresno. All right. Hey, welcome and thank you for joining us at our RVC online service today. Uh, We are in our series looking at the story of Jonah, and today we're looking at Jonah and really perhaps the greatest revival that we've seen in history. You know, the great miracle of the book of Jonah uh, isn't the fact that Jonah lived another day after being swallowed up by a fish in chapter 2, but it's the fact that uh, we see this great revival in the city of Nineveh. Uh, As we've been looking through this this series, we've looked at Jonah running away from God's presence and God's call on his life. We looked in chapter two of Jonah uh, praying to the Lord, and today we'll look at Jonah preaching. We discover the amazing grace that God has, not only for Jonah the prophet, but also the people of Nineveh that God desperately wants to send Jonah to proclaim his message to them. Uh, He ran from God's call, ran from God's presence. Uh, he, He would rather have died than to actually preach to the Assyrians because of his hatred for them as a nation. They certainly threatened the existence of Israel during that time, and yet God in his love, desired to send Jonah there. Uh, Jonah felt the repercussions of his rebellion uh, as he was there in the fish. Uh, God used that discipline as he does uh, the discipline that he gives to all of his children. He uses it to get us back to him and back on track with the life that he's called us to live. Jonah called out to the Lord in distress and, and he says, and God answered me. So Jonah was restored at the end of chapter two and the the fish hurled Jonah up, threw him up on the seashore, perhaps back in, in Tarshish where he, uh, or where he was, excuse me, um, where he was leaving to Tarshish uh, in John. And uh, and then he gets another chance. You know, the story of, of God's word is really about God's grace, God's grace for the world, God's grace for people. Uh, he, he desires that all of us would be saved and would know him personally and experience his love and grace. And, and, and this is the story of Jonah. God desires to show grace and compassion, not only to him, but also to the people of Nineveh. God is full of grace and compassion, and now we get to see it at work. So it's chapter three, Jonah, uh, we'll pick it up, actually, let's pick it up actually in the, the end of chapter two, verse 10, it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So first, we're going to look at God's grace for Jonah. God saved him from death, and now God's grace shows up in his restoration. Uh, He gives him a divine assignment once again, and it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Really, it's the same verbiage that was used because it's God saying, I'm offering Jonah a new beginning, a brand new start. We talked last Sunday together that God is a God of another chance. I love this part of God's grace for Jonah because it's it's not like Jonah says, Jonah, you've learned your lesson. I'm glad you've repented and turned back to me. But you got to go home now. 
right? Uh, I'm not going to use you anymore. You blew it too bad. That wasn't the message of Jonah, and certainly that's not the message to uh, his people uh, when they fall and stumble into sin. He doesn't say to him, you're no longer useful. Those words are not God's words. Those are words that the enemy of our soul would use, that you've gone too far now. God would never use you. Uh, he's done with you. You're not uh, salvageable. And that's such a lie from the enemy. When a believer blows it, when uh, their life you know, moves in a direction of, I just want to do it my way, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away from you. I'm going to choose to live my own way. They wander from God's best for their life. God's desire is to always restore. You know, we have this, this, um, this language in the church world, right? We, we say that, oh, they were a fallen minister. Uh, or, or maybe we use another, you know, the, the same kind of concept, but oh, they used to be really into the Lord and they were serving the Lord in church, but then they've wandered off, right? You heard what happened to them. Here's the reality, man. God's desire is to show grace to the Jonas of our world, to the Jonas that are watching right now. And, and, and by, gra- by God's grace, He's able to pick them back up and to help them uh, get restored and to bring them to a place where they're being used again by the Lord. His grace restores. It, It might not be the same assignment. It might not be in the same way, but God desires to restore and get people back into a useful place in his kingdom. What does God want from Jonah? What does God want from us? He wants repentant hearts. He wants humbled hearts. I think about you know, the story of Jonah and him being restored by God's grace back into service. I think about Peter. You know, Peter had denied the Lord three times. And we, we know that from the gospel narratives, when you piece it all together, that Jesus had a private moment with Peter of restoration. But there was that public restoration that, that Jesus gave to Peter. Peter had, after he denied the Lord, he actually went back to fishing. He went back to his old life, what he, Jesus had called him to leave to become a fisher of men. He went back fishing. It was there on the seashore that Jesus called to Peter. He called the disciples. And three times it says, Peter, do you love me? He said, feed my sheep. It was that moment where he was publicly restored and called back to ministry. And we know from the story of the the book of Acts that it was Peter who was used, the one who denied the Lord three times. He was used to proclaim the gospel message on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people heard the gospel and they were saved on that day and baptized on that day and the church began to flourish and God chose to use Peter in that moment. I think about uh, John Mark, you know, the the author of the of the gospel, the gospel of Mark. John Mark, I think, was a cousin of Peter, and and uh, and what we read about his life is he was with Paul on the first missionary journey, and uh, w- along with Barnabas. And some point in the journey, he decided to go back home. Well, as they got ready for a second journey together, it was Barnabas arguing with Paul about let's bring John Mark, and Paul say no, no, no. He he departed from us the last time. He'll do it again, and there becomes such a um, a division between Paul and Barnabas that they chose to actually do separate journeys and go their own ways and to serve the Lord in a different capacity. But later on, we see that Paul writes to Timothy saying, hey, and bring with you John Mark because he's useful to me. It was such a great, beautiful story how God used Barnabas to restore John Mark back into a ministry uh, where he was useful again. And even Paul recognized it. 
We so easily give up on Jonah's in our world, right? We give up on people uh, that God has not given up on himself. And so verse two, it says, arise and go to that great city. He gets this second opportunity to be used by the Lord. And when, when God says that it was a great city, it was great in size. Now, it says that it was a three-day journey. We'll get to that in a second, you know, throughout the entire city. That was to walk around the entire city, but also, uh, during times of peace, you know, the, they would begin to build, you know, homes and, and farmlands and all that outside of the walls of the city. So it was this great city. It was also great in sin. As you remember chapter one, they're, they're, God says that their evil has come up before me. You know, they were known for their violence and for their idolatry and their immorality. Uh, their luxurious living was zero concern for the poor among them. Injustice and greed. And so the sin had just risen like an overflowing septic tank before the, the you know, the the. You know, the heavens where God resides, it reached like stench up to the heavens. But it was also great in importance to God. And God wanted to show great compassion to the city. In verse three, uh, Jonah hears from the Lord and he says, I want you to proclaim the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, it says, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. This was the message. Uh, it was God's message that Jonah was supposed to proclaim. It wasn't uh, something that was, you know, going to be warm and fuzzy and make people feel good. In fact, it was a message of judgment that Jonah uh, parked on and shared that was the primary message that God gave to Jonah. Uh, it's, it's not always a pleasant message when you hear that you have sinned against a holy God. You know, it's interesting. The story of Jonah, it... it it challenges us as individuals and believers about, you know, who gets God's grace. And as he shared last week, Jonah talked about in chapter two, he said, salvation belongs to God. That means that God can save anyone and everyone that he wants to save. There's nobody that's too far and even choosing to save people that perhaps are even our enemies. But Jonah uh, has this message to proclaim, and God has commissioned us with the same message, the message of the gospel. Uh, we've been commissioned by Jesus in the Great Commission in the end of Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, to go into all the world and proclaim the good news, right? To make disciples of all nations. You know, the church is in an interesting spot right now. As we see that the, the gospel message um, is certainly one that is not received well because of you know, the truth, the fact that we call people, you know, where people are at, that we've all sinned. Uh, and, and this world is not in this place where they like to hear that, that there is such thing as sin, or certainly they like to define what sin is in the 21st century. As the church is in a post-Christian America, uh, a lot of people feel challenged. Do we adjust the message to make it more palatable or more acceptable or more relevant? Here's the facts. What Jonah proclaims to the Ninevites is also part of the good news. It's the bad news, is that we've all sinned. Uh, what Jonah tells them is part of the message that we tell people. You and God are not in a right spot right now. You're not, your life is not in a healthy spot with God. For the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And yet, there's a second part of that message. It's, but the 
gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, that's the message. We've all broken God's commands. We've all sinned against him. Uh, and, and yet that message has to be proclaimed. So it tells us in, chap- in verse three that Jonah, he listened uh, so Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I think that Jonah had like a monotone preaching voice because he wasn't excited, we find in chapter four, that they may receive mercy. 40 days. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, notice this, they believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth, which would be signs of mourning over their sin. From the greatest of them to the least of them, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Notice verse 10. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But look at verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Here we see God's amazing grace, even for a reluctant prophet like Jonah. God's grace for Jonah to get him out of that you know, a place of distress where he was sure to die in the belly of the fish. God's grace to bring Jonah back to restoration. And now, number two, we see God's grace for the people. God's grace for the Ninevites. How would they receive the message of Jonah? Would they laugh at him, mock him, persecute him, blow him off? I mean, his message was, hey, 40 days and you guys are toast. 40 days and it's over. He used the same terminology. This city is going to be overthrown like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Some suggest that they were actually being prepped ahead of time to receive such a message and really to tune in to what he had been saying or what he was about to say because there was a bunch of natural kind of events that had been taking place, famines and eclipses and you know, natural occurrences that would wake up this, this city. And, uh, and now they're ready to turn it, tune in to what Jonah has to say because things are going to get worse, perhaps. Now Jonah comes in 40 days, God will overthrow the city. That was his main message. Now we need to assume that there was other things that he said, but that was his one and only point is that God's judgment is coming. And amazing, as the people heard that message, It says that they believed God and they responded and they began to mourn over their sin. They began to, you know, 
do these uh, outward showings of something that was happening in their heart as they, they took off their, you know, their clothing, their fancy clothes, and they put on sackcloth and they sat in ashes because they're choosing to actually humble themselves before God to repent over their sin because they believed God. You know, it's just interesting reading this. You know, you'd think that the Ninevites, they would have either uh, mocked Jonah that they would actually uh, seek to ha- kill him for this message that he was proclaiming, scaring the people, saying in 40 days, you know, a month and a, you know, and a little change, and it's all going to be over here. And yet what they did was they actually responded. It's interesting. The message, you know, uh, of, of the gospel, I think sometimes that we, f- we fail to, re- to realize that, man, people want to hear it. Uh, there's going to be people that are going to actually respond to the gospel message simply because it's God's truth and God's already working. God's already working on their behalf. I'm going to pause right here. We've got a little <laughs> we got a little thing I had to take away from one of my uh, irritations. <laughs> this has never happened. <laughs> it's actually happened in church, but not like this. But we're going to keep going on right now. This is just, hey, you know what? This is church at home. I bet you have some of these same kind of distractions going on. Where was I at? Here we go. People believed God. It reached even the palace. The king stooped down along with the people. And, and that's where I, I wanted to, to mention is that, uh, is that, man, people do respond. You know, there's someone right now that you're thinking about like, Gosh, I wish they would, 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 would turn their life over to Jesus. I wish they would actually believe in him and, and have their lives being transformed. You, you know that they go about life with a, a you know, just, um, you know, needing life, needing abundant life. And, and yet you're like, but if I told them about Jesus, they're just going to mock it. They're just going to, you know, they're going to laugh at it. They're going to deny it and say, man, I don't need that. I'm telling you, there are people that are in your world right now that are ripe and ready to hear the truth that God loves them, that their sin, my sin, all of our sin has offended a holy God. And that's why Jesus Christ came to lay his life down on the cross so that we might be forgiven and might be saved. More people than you know would actually respond if they were simply told and shared the gospel with Uh, God's the one who saves. It's not the power of the messenger. It's the power of the message of the gospel. That's why Paul says this. In Romans 1, 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also uh, the Gentile. It's It's the gospel message. It's the power of God into salvation. It's not Jonah and his and his cleverness or his wittiness. It w- it's the message of God that actually convicts the heart where a person says, like in the book of Acts, what shall we do to be saved, right? What do I need to do to get into a right relationship with God now that I understand where I stand with God in all of my sin? You know, they have two options. Turn, and perhaps God will spare them, or face the judgment. In verse 9, the, their, their reasoning is, who knows? Who knows? They thought maybe God might relent and spare them. So they changed their direction in life. Repentance. 
you know, four times we see how they chose to respond to this message and turn and repent. Repentance means to change direction, to turn around. The good news today is that God allows U-turns in people's lives. You, you, you know, a person's living their life this way and it's uh, far away from God. God gives them the ability to make a change. That's what repentance means. God, I've been living my life this way and all this wickedness that I've been doing, these Ninevites and the way they had lived out their life selfishly with violence and greed. And he said that they turned, they repented, they recognized where they were standing before God. They simply believed. That's what faith is. And they demonstrated that belief by the way they responded in this genuine repentance. They understood what sin was. Look at what they said. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from violence that is in his hands. Something has to change. I believe what God says, but something's got to change in my life. That's what true repentance means. It's characterized by recognizing that you and I are guilty before God, that they were guilty before God. They had broken his commands. They had sorrow for their sin. It wasn't that we're caught and gee, now I'm going to say I'm sorry, but it was genuine sorrow. And that genuine sorrow, it leads to change, real change. They confessed it as sin before God. Let everyone mightily call out to the Lord. They confessed it as sin before him, and they chose to turn from those sins that separated them from God. That's what repentance is. And it's all because in verse 9, who can tell? Perhaps God is merciful. You know, it's interesting. They wondered, who, who can tell? We already know the truth. We already know the reality. Who can tell? We can. We have it from God's word that he is a God who wants to extend grace. His decree was that destruction is coming, but we know from God's word that his desire was that they would actually turn and be saved. We read about this several weeks back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's a verse in the Bible that literally it, it, it um, is the sum of what God's message is. It is this, Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved <clears throat> all the ends of the earth. That's God's heart for the world, to save the lost, all who would call upon him for salvation. The Bible says that God desires and will save. They can escape as we have escaped God's wrath that we all deserve and actually find salvation in the Lord. And look what happens in verse 10. God withholds judgment. The city is saved. You know, Jonah should have known from the prophet of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. It tells us in Jeremiah 18, 7 and 8, if, if I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted and torn down and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways I will not destroy it as I had planned. God spared Jonah. Now God spared through his grace Nineveh. And gang, I I believe that God wants to spare and there's hope even for our great nation that we live in today. It's not going to come through legislation of morality. It's going to come through the church rising up and being the salt and the light and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Because guess what, my friend? It's the heart that needs to change. It's the inside of a person that needs to change for this nation to change. And that can only happen, man, through Jesus Christ coming and taking up residence in a person's life. 
what Jonah said in the fish was true as we see it come out here in this great revival in Nineveh that salvation belongs to God. God can save. God can save the farthest ones. God can save the hardest ones. And this revival breaks out. Tens of thousands of people are spared and they turn to the living God. Now, I want you to note that this was a, uh, this postponed judgment about 100 to 150 years later, God's judgment did come on Nineveh because the grandchildren and perhaps the great-grandchildren of these people this day that put on sackcloth and ashes and they believed God and cried out mightily to God and began to change their living and their ways, their grandchildren and great-grandchildren decided to live their life on their own in ways that still dishonored God. It tells us that you can't live off your grandparents' faith. You can't sit here and say, well, you know what? I know I'm okay with God because, gee, my grandmother, she used to play the organ in the church. Or I don't even know if they don't have organs anymore. My grandfather, oh, he was on the board of this church. Or, you know, my great-grandfather, gee, he prayed all the time. And, gee, you know, I know that I'm, you know, I'm okay with God because I'm in this family. So listen, God only has children. God doesn't have grandchildren. You've got to make a decision to actually serve the Lord yourself. God's amazing grace for Jonah to bring him out of that pit and bring him out of his despair and God's grace to restore him back into a life of ministry. We see God's grace for the Ninevites. God restored Jonah because God wanted to use him to restore and bring reconciliation to other people. You and I have been reconciled to God, right? And we're called to take that message to the world. See, this Jonah's story, it becomes uh, a great a great picture of how you and I are to live our lives, man, to go risk being mocked, risk being ridiculed, risk even worse, to get the message of God's love and God's truth out to a lost and dying world. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it's in verse 17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. That's what Jonah was that day, an ambassador from God sent to a foreign land to proclaim God's message. And God is making his appeal through us. That's what Paul says. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's a message of us as ambassadors in this world. God restores Jonah. He restores us. He saves us and reconciles us to him so that we might go out and do that work as an ambassador and proclaim the good news to the lost and dying around us. You know, the greatest joy you'll ever experience in life is walking closely with Jesus Christ and representing him and seeing people along your path come to know him in a personal way. Jonah had a great deliverance. Uh, Jonah had seen a great revival. You would think that Jonah would be elated. God, you used me in one day. The greatest revival in, in the history of the world up to this moment was such a short amount of time. If we were to 
plan to go to a city like Nineveh, we would have to have uh, you know, months and months and months and millions of dollars to plan the campaign and to rent out a big, you know, uh, a big giant stadium and you know, all the things that we do in our world today. God sent one dude who didn't even go with passion and God brought about such a great revival. You would think, wow, look at this. God used me to do this. So what do we see? Jonah with great joy? No, we see Jonah with great depression. Jonah seemed to enjoy preaching and proclaiming God's wrath. Here we see Jonah receiving grace, but guess what? He still has some tweaking to his soul, and I think that we all do in some respect. God got his body to go. God has got his mouth to speak, but not his heart. The one who received such incredible mercy and grace, amazing grace, he was angered that it was given to others. Think about that. He missed God's heart, that God loves all people. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Every single person in this world, God longs to reach and to save and to use people who have his missionary heart to go and proclaim his love and the good news to the lost. Jonah went on a mission trip, but he didn't have a mission heart. Here's, the, here's what we need to take away today, is that God loves this world. He loves your friends. He desires that all would come to him. And gang, he calls us to arise like Jonah and to go to the great city, to the people that he loves and proclaim the good news, to be on his mission with his mission heart to reach the lost. Nothing is more important Nothing is more important than for the church uh, and for us as believers to give towards the work of the gospel, to pray to the work of the gospel, to pray for the lost, to pray for your one that you've been asking God to open their heart and give you an opportunity to share with, to serve this world and show the love of Christ in practical ways, to, to meet the needs of the brokenhearted in our community, to be the salt and the light in order that people might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven, and to love all so that we might fulfill, right, the getting out the good news to a lost and dying world. It's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission to go into all the world, to make disciples of all nations. We talked about God's grace for uh, Jonah and God's grace for the Ninevites, but here's the third one, God's grace for the world. There's a great lesson in the story of Jonah, and I'm gonna leave you with this. He wants to use you. He wants to use you to proclaim the good news to this lost and dying world. And he wants you and I to start in our Jerusalem, where you are right now, the people you work with, the people you live by, the people that you already know, and to share the good news with lost people. To be on God's mission with God's mission heart. You know, Jonah's gonna get a lesson in compassion in the next chapter uh, because his heart is still hardened. And I think that you and I need that lesson in compassion as well. Jonah needs to repent of his lack of compassion for those who are far from God. How about us? If we're, re- if we're honest, I think we all believe in the mission of the church and every church has a different phrase you know, for living out their mission. We say our mission is to know Jesus and to make him known, right? 
But we have to have a heart for the lost to make him known. It's been said, reapers of souls must first be weepers of souls. You know what I mean? To cry out, to really feel a compassion for those who are lost and dying. I think that, I think that we, we need to pray like, uh, like in Matthew chapter 9, you know, the disciples saw a group of people as uh, a nuisance. Jesus, we need to tell them to go away because we don't, you know, we, need, we, can't, we don't have any food for them. And gee, they're starting to overwhelm us a little bit. And Jesus says, you looked at the crowd like there were sheep scattered without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. And he told the disciples to pray that the Lord would send workers into the harvest field. We need to pray, God, give us hearts for the lost, the kind of heart that you have for the lost. We need to repent of our lack of compassion. I think that we need to repent, honestly, of our lukewarm living, our, our desire for comfort, uh, which are, these are not bad things, but, but, but we're not passionate about the serious business and joyful business of seeing the lost come to Jesus and find grace and restoration. We say, Lord, we need your heart. We want to be used to take your grace, the message of your grace, to the world around us. You know, we've been talking about getting back to normal, you know, and our prayers that we would get back to normal. But man, I, I hope we don't get back to church as normal where we check off the box. Or devotional life. Oh, I, I did my devos. Check off the box. Man, my hope and my prayer is that we shift into a new season as we head into 2021 where we are living a New Testament kind of Christian life where, where, where it's like this understanding of, man, if God says go, we just say, Lord, we'll go. We'll sacrifice. We'll give generously. We will risk uh, our reputation to give the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world, right? This new normal, we could say, it would be so beautiful for us to live for kingdom priorities and to say, God, and I'll challenge you with this as we wrap up, God, use my life to reach somebody. You know, one of the things that we have talked about over the last couple of years and certainly this year is who's your one? Who's the one person that you're asking God to open their heart, to give you an opportunity to share with that one friend, that one loved one, that one coworker that you want to see come to know Jesus Christ in 2021. Man, continue to pray for them. Look for opportunities to share with them. Invite them to watch a video with you on our YouTube channel uh, or to invite them out to a Sunday morning service now at 9 a.m so that you might see them come to know Jesus Christ and know that God wants to use you to do that. Man, let us rise up, man, and take the grace of God, the message of the grace of God to the rest of the world. You know, today you also might be, as you're watching, you look at Jonah and you look at this, how God just forgave the Ninevites and God restored the Ninevites and they believed in him. That's who God is. God forgives all of our sin. And maybe today you're saying, God, I want to have a relationship with you. What do I need to do? Well, for one, you need to re realize that you have sinned, just like the Ninevites did. They recognized that they had broken his commands. They wanted to turn from their sin, right? They recognized, for you, to recognize that Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for your sins personally. You cannot do enough good things to outweigh your sins against God. So you recognize Jesus died for my sins. Uh, it's, it's what we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him who never sinned to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. 
God or we might be made right in God's sight. You repent of your sin. This is where you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I'll I'll do that U-turn. I'll turn from my old life and I'll go in the direction where you are. You tell God you're sorry. You turn from that sin. You ask him to forgive you and make you new today. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Lord. You know, there's no magical words. God's looking at your heart today. But somewhere today, get down on your knees. Close your eyes and cry out to the Lord. Cry out mightily to the Lord saying, God, I want you to come into my life. Forgive me. Make me a new person. God will hear your prayer. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you make that decision today, I want you to let us know about it. We'd love to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. We'd love to send you a Bible if you don't have a Bible, as well as some material that will just help you understand what it means to walk with God. Now, as we wrap up this series next Sunday, join us next week. Invite someone to watch along with you. If you've missed any of the messages on this journey, you can find it uh, on this YouTube channel. God bless you. Have an amazing rest of your day.